Welcome to the Body Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara. You can expect new episodes each Wednesday that are educational, inspiring, and honest surrounding various women's health topics, spirituality, and so much more. The Body Wisdom Podcast was brought to life by integrating the physical and emotional body to deepen one's healing journey. Thanks for being here and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Body Wisdom Podcast. I am your host, Kiara Orbe, and here with my co-host, Gabby Barboza. (laughs) And today on the show, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for today's guest, y'all, because I don't know, I feel like this is a subject that we haven't really touched, Gabby, but this is something that Gabby and I have our own personal experience with, and when we came across Mineral Shaman, AKA Hamid, um, I was like, oh my gosh, someone's talking about this and has like an understanding of minerals. And I'm just like, mind blown. So cannot wait to get into the juice, but um, welcome Hamid. How are you today? Thank you so much. You know, I'm, I'm really, really well, and I'm happy to be here. And I'm loving the fact that these conversations are taking place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for those who are not familiar yet with your work, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you landed in this space? Oh my God. I'm sure that could go on for eons, (laughs) but I guess like a condensed version. (laughs) I have been in the healing arts for the last 15 years. Before that, I was an attorney. And before that, I went to music school and Throughout my life, I've been interested in alternative health. I guess that's the broad category of health that I reside in. And I never thought I'd be doing it for a living until about 10 years ago when I was teaching yoga and meditation. And I got really into some of the more indigenous traditions, studying in Thailand, many, many trips to Thailand to work in Thai old medicine, which is herbal medicine and body work. And then time in the jungle and time in the Andes with some of the indigenous traditions there working with plant medicines. And more recently, getting more into minerals and trying to piece together some of the reasons that the traditions themselves are helpful and then some of the reasons that people in our culture that are seeking out plant medicines aren't having the same results as maybe uh, people a couple generations ago or even the indigenous people. And I started to share a little bit of information about that, thinking there's gonna be like three people in the world that are interested in these connections I'm drawing. And turns out there's more than three, so here we are. <laughs> yeah, you have a big crowd and it's it's so good to see all of these conversations as well. But an attorney, oh my gosh, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was debating um, being an attorney or a doctor. I'm actually glad I went and became an attorney because I I would have just (laughs) suffered for years as a doctor, you know, thinking, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. But at least as an attorney, they taught us more analytical thinking. So I'm able to look at things and kind of peel apart the matrix more without, you know, I think the medical system teaches doctors how, uh, what to think, not how to, how to think. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's all, it's all kind of part of the path. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Did you have any like health issues per se, like any symptoms? I mean, I feel like we all have symptoms, but like, were there any like severe cases that you had? Um, I've had a couple in my life when I was 14, I started to just gain weight. And that's when I got into paleolithic eating. Mm -hmm. This is before there was even a term paleo. So talking like 1994, 1995, Wow. I didn't even know what to call what I was doing. I just called myself a hunter gatherer, you know, and everybody thought I was crazy, but it really did help me with some of the metabolic issues I was having. And then about five years ago, I had a string of stressful events in my life, a divorce and a death in the family. And I took a nosedive in my health and I didn't know what was happening. Um, it, it looked like heavy metal poisoning. It looked like chronic fatigue. It looked like everything that I now see with everybody else that I work with. And I kind of pieced together that I had 
lost all my minerals, you know, especially my magnesium. And it wasn't until I finally got onto the root cause protocol that everything completely resolved. I had kind of figured out most of the protocol on my own mm. just through trial and error. And so when I found it, I was thinking, oh, Morley, you know, he's kind of like me because I, I kind of got here in this roundabout way. And so I did have a, a big health journey just to get back on my feet after that stressful year. And now I'm, I'm in, in great health. I'm 42. I don't have any issues, um, you know, here and there. I wish that I was in better shape, but it's because I'm now spending so much of my time in front of Zoom talking to people. Exactly. I don't get as much time to get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I get that I get that well I want to kind of shift gears into our, our topic of the hour which is um, plant medicines and you shared that you've had your own personal experience with it were you actually like facilitating these journeys for others um, yes I've been a facilitator and I did lots of trainings and initiations with first the Shipibo people and then also uh, Corindero in the Andean traditions. Mm. So I've been in hundreds and hundreds of ceremonies and um, I've seen, I will say I've seen it all, but I've seen a lot and I've been firsthand for a lot of things. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. And why, what, what drew you to psychedelics in the first place? I was never interested in psychedelics, to tell you the truth. I was the type of person that would have written them off. I was much more into meditation and expanding my consciousness through sound and music, which mm. was my background. And I had somebody who had come to one of my sound events who was doing sound meditations with gong and crystal bowls, guiding people with my voice into these deep states who was convinced that the place I had taken him was the same place he goes with ayahuasca. So he invited me to a ceremony and I went out of curiosity. I had heard about ayahuasca for years and I never thought like, I'm gonna go all the way to the jungle to experience it. But if it comes to my doorstep, then maybe I will. Mm -hmm. And that was what brought me in. And it was really the music and the sound. And it was so familiar for me, the places that I was able to explore with that particular medicine that it, it was different than when I was practicing yoga. I used to be a yoga teacher and I got into that because I couldn't touch my toes. I was completely inflexible. So I went from the most inflexible guy in the room to the guy teaching the class. And I had a, a long process where I had to really, really figure out how yoga worked. And with ayahuasca, I was more like a natural, um, because I had been exploring those states of consciousness without that medicine, that I think I, I just felt at home in that world. So it wasn't something I had been seeking for very long, but it, it just called me in. And then I started to see some profound shifts in my life. But also what ended up happening was this was right around the time that I was finishing my divorce and starting to have stress and symptoms. And I could not figure out if the symptoms were being helped by working with the plant medicines. For a long time, I thought plant medicine is my solution. And I went down this path of kind of changing my diet and adopting all these practices that were very foreign to my body. And I got sicker and sicker. And it wasn't until I had this kind of come to Jesus moment with myself where I had to say, okay, the plant medicine is not helping you, Hamid. You, if it was helping you, you would have been over all of these issues. You need to really reevaluate what the root cause of what's happening is. And at that point, I was able to, to really address things from a different way. And then, then working with the plants after that has been completely different, not depleting and you know, much more enlightening in other ways. Mm, wow. Thanks for sharing. Gabby, I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you take the floor for a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of where um, I wanted to go to on, you have spoken about how when you were starting to not, to really not feel well, 
that you brought it up to your community and you were essentially gaslit into it's not the plant medicines, it's not the diet you're following. Um, the dieta for ayahuasca is pretty intense, especially if you come from, I'm not sure if your background before that was eating animal protein, but at least in my experience, it was very intense to do the dieta. And then, um, and if anyone doesn't know, it's typically like not any animal protein. It's very different if you come from eating animal protein, but um, basically it sounds like that your experience, you were told it's not the plant medicine, it's not the diet, you just need to kind of go deeper. And I think that a lot of people have that experience. And so I'm curious, you kind of mentioned this, but how do you think the therapeutic benefits of plant medicine is being impacted by that? And do you still think that people can experience therapeutic effects of psychedelics? Yeah, totally. I, at first, when I was new to the plant medicine world, I had a lot of knowledge about health and it, it almost felt as though I had to disregard it and just listen to what people in that world were saying. And it's a very dangerous position because when you're working with plants, you become very suggestible. When you're working with mind-altering substances, if somebody tells you something in and around the time that you're working, it will program your subconscious. So you have to be very careful of who you're surrounding yourself with. And I was in communities where the people were very charismatic and I would listen to what they said and it would just go right in and it would program my belief systems and change them. It wasn't until a few years in, like I said, that I realized like, I really need to dig into what they're saying. Is this true that you can't eat meat? Is this true that you have to let go of salt? Where do these beliefs come from? And for me, it was just a slow unpacking of some of the programming. And I wouldn't say the gaslighting that happened was intentional. I think that people believe these things to be true. It's just that there's, there's a great lack of knowledge of you know, how the body works <laughs> in these circles. And I, I used to think you know, some of the people in those circles are the smartest people I've ever met. And I've started to realize that they're kind of the most... Um, one my, uh, one-sided myopic people I've ever met that they're not willing to to see all of the angles and so I, I do believe that the plant medicine world offers a lot of healing one of the things I uncovered in my search is that minerals are necessary for the plant medicines to work we need to have magnesium like in a really good good level for the plant medicines to actually work because they work with magnesium but the people of the jungle, when they're doing these dietas, they're letting go of salt and they're letting go of animal foods and fat. They have greater stores of magnesium than we will ever have. You know, they say that 52% of our magnesium is stored in our bones. I think that most Westerners just don't have those stores. So if you give up these minerals, salt, and you give up the fat for a long enough period of time, you're going to burn through your stores of magnesium pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen to the people of the jungle, which can explain why some people have really amazing outcomes and some people don't. And for me, when I finally got my, my handle on the fact that I was incredibly magnesium and copper deficient and I started to replenish, everything came back online, like very quickly. And it could have been so simple for, for that community to come out and tell me right at the beginning, instead of telling me that, no, you know, just keep working with the plants, more plants, more plants. They could have said, no, you need more, you need more minerals. That would have saved me a couple of years of my life, probably searching for the, the answers. <laughs> That's what's so crazy is that when we come from Western cultures in the United States were so mineral deficient. And so having a one size fits all when we don't have nearly the amount of capacity um, as someone who grew up in such an enriched mineral rich environment. Yeah, it's so interesting that you made that um, that connection and, and the charismatic piece too. It's like, I had a similar experience, like the music just drew me in the person that I was doing ayahuasca with, like she was so, her voice was just like, 
an angel truly like as she was singing and ceremony and all of that but but there was this gut feeling that okay I have to still have um a decision here on what feels best for my body and what my upbringing is um so yeah super interesting yeah Yeah. so it sounds like minerals are kind of like the missing piece in these spiritual communities is that kind of what you would, can we come to that agreement or is it, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts there. I, I think it's a, it's an interesting phenomenon because there's different reasons people seek out the plant medicines. Some people are in excellent metabolic health. Everything's going right for them and probably they have robust mineral status. And for them, it's a very different experience, but I, I have worked and just been around a lot of people who are filled with symptoms and they're seeking plant medicines for healing, not just physical, you know, you see the common things, autoimmune disorders and all the things that you see as a health practitioner, mm-hmm. but you also see a lot of psychological strain, stress and anxiety and depression. And so people are approaching the plant medicines from already a state that is depleted is, yeah. and, and dysregulated. That's a very different type of situation than the traditions that came up around plant medicines were ever used to. You know, the people of the jungle that have ayahuasca, they don't really have words for depression in their language, Mm. anxiety. They don't experience that. It's not to them, you know, sort of like we view it as like a pharmaceutical medicine that's going to help people, you know, fix their depression and their anxiety. That's not really what it is for them. And most of the time it's an ally and it's a little bit different, the relationship, but I have seen that people that come in already depleted, they have to do something different than what the indigenous traditions would say. A lot of times they really have to take a different approach if they're going to work with plant medicines and the best approach I've found is something like the root cause protocol or some kind of practice that works on their metabolic health and works on minerals. And then when they approach it from that angle with a different, I guess a different makeup within their body and their psyche and a different approach to it, the effects are are probably going to be more beneficial. So I have seen people just fall off the cliff, you know, they come in depleted and then more depleted and more depleted. And then what happens, it becomes a pattern. So a lot of it is just like, okay, we're going to have ceremony next month, and next month again and again. And it, people can, it's like when your hair is growing, you don't realize it until later you look back at a photo and things happen so slowly that, you know, you might check in a year later and go, am I even better off now than I was before I started all this? It seems like I don't know, you know, that's sort of the experience that a lot of people have had. And I think minerals are a piece of it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. And I was on that end before where I was not feeling well in my body. I was struggling with anxiety and depression and I was looking for an answer. I was looking for something to heal heal me. And that was way before I knew that we had this innate healing wisdom within us and sure, like there can be integration tools such as plant medicines. And, but I think what was really missing for me was a foundation and resiliency through nutrition. Like I was, I think at the time I was fasting, I was doing keto, um, not nourishing my body as a woman in her reproductive years. So, um, Thank God I was still eating animal proceed though. <laughs> that, that was there. But I was like many women who I work with, who Gabby and I work with, we're like just so desperate, so dysregulated already. So we'll go to these extreme ends and kind of jump there and hope that that's the answer before we just simplify it a little bit. And I've always said that, like, I think health can be so simple. I mean, it's, it's super nuanced. I don't think it's black and white and there's, there's so much that can go into it, but I think baby steps and simplicity are huge when you are trying to build up your foundation. So that's what really allowed me to feel better. It wasn't, and I'm, I'm thankful for my ayahuasca experience. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my psilocybin experiences, but, um, 
I think when I started to see transformation, it was, it was when I was going through the root cause protocol. And when I was, after I became an NTP, Gabby and I are both NTPs, um, and really started to understand like ancestral foods, traditional foods that have existed in our culture for generations, as you mentioned, like hunter gatherer, like that going back to our roots. Um, and that is spiritual too. And, um, yeah, so thanks for sharing that. I'm curious how you feel about plant medicines. I don't know if you watched the the Netflix documentary, How to Change Your Mind. Did you see that? No, but I've, I've read his book that same. has the same name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I read it and that's um, originally what led me to ayahuasca. Um, but I, th- I thought the documentary was really interesting and for anyone out there, I, I like was messaging Gabby the entire time I was watching. It. I was like, you need to watch this um, because I thought it was so good. But I'm curious how you feel about plant medicines becoming more, for lack of a better phrase, like mainstream. Mm. Starts to get a little bit suspicious when they, whoever they are, starts to allow things. Because one thing I've learned, and I think everybody can recognize regardless of how they view it in the last two years the the big drug makers are very powerful in our country and there's a lot of money interests that make money off people's health so if if certain drugs are starting to be allowed you have to understand that that's because the big pharmaceutical companies are wanting them to be allowed because they have the power to shut it down i've seen them do it in the last few years they can shut down any drug they don't like um, with with just a few calls. So I start to wonder, you know, why is it that psychedelics are on the table to become legal all over the world, maybe all over the country first? And it starts to occur to me that I need to look more in the research. So I did look a lot at what research is available. And one of the things you find is a lot of references to magnesium and magnesium deficiency and a And that I think everybody knows, regardless of your background in minerals, is that magnesium deficiency is a contributing factor to almost everything out there. And the studies on psilocybin, ketamine, mescaline, LSD, the classical psychedelics all showed that they deplete magnesium. And they also showed that they have detrimental effects in people who are magnesium deficient. And I know that it's, it sounds a little weird to think about that that would be one reason that they would start allowing psychedelics. <laughs> but to me, my mind always thinks, well, who's going to make money off that? Well, the drug makers will make a lot more money because people might enter that thinking it's a quick fix and then end up on other drugs when the magnesium levels get too low. Or it might just be something that doesn't fix the problem. It could be just a repeat type treatment that is out there. And I don't know that that's the entire reason I have that suspicion, but I've been contacted by people who run big, you know, investment funds, for instance, and they want to open up psychedelic therapy clinics and ketamine clinics. And to me, it's just a little bit too money hungry. So I always kind of look at it and I think there's, there's something good about it. You know, psilocybin is super helpful for some people, but why are we pushing it so much? Why are we going there? Mm. And part of it sort of, I just look at like what happened with cannabis, you know, and, and I just question like, has anybody gotten healthier? I know that it's helpful for people, you know, it helps with their symptoms maybe. I, I just wonder, has anybody actually gotten healthier by smoking cannabis now that it's legal everywhere? I haven't met anybody yet who's who fits that criteria. So I, I don't know what the answer is going to be for us when we start to work with more powerful psychedelic medicines. So fascinating, like the when you're bringing in that point of how it's so money hungry and how much, like I'm curious your thoughts on the spiritual bypass of like taking over a plant and then making it, so much more expensive and also not as nourishing because it's being, I mean, if it's being grown on our soil, then <laughs> like, how is it going to be as nourishing as it's a, its origin? And then if people 
Um, I mean, the quick fix when you're really desperate, like Kira was saying, like you really want to just do something as quickly as possible. You're not even paying homage to like the ancestral roots that this comes from of the indigenous people. Um, some that are in our country, many that are not in our country and uh, well, many that are, you know, the native indigenous people here, but um, there is a level of at least I'm really interested in social justice. So from my standpoint of people that are just looking for that quick fix, but they maybe aren't even getting the full potential of the medicine because they're not actually doing the spiritual work of what it takes to be using a medicine like that. Um, and they don't even know the origin. I'm curious. Yeah. Your thoughts on, and you don't have to have a strong of an opinion. As I <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. You know, the, the soul of the, the plants gets lost when we, we change the way that they're made and the soil. And there's, there's hardly any way to know, you know, where it's going to end up. It could be all synthesized in a laboratory in the future. But there's another aspect to it that you mentioned, and I, and I think it's a good one, which is people are seeking healing. I mean, there's really a need. I think this is the phenomenon that's much more important to recognize is people are suffering. People have lots of anxiety. People have lots of confusion, lots of fear, lots of depression and, and health issues that result from those um, emotional conditions. And plant medicine, psilocybin, psychedelics, they offer some hope, but I don't think they're a panacea in all cases because it does require some foundational um, self-work, some foundational understanding of how to work with them. And I, I don't know that the way that it's gonna be offered is gonna offer the support. I'll give you an example because I kind of am in touch with people in the psychedelic therapy world, which is very different than the shamanic world. Psychedelic therapists that I know, they're very interested. Every, psycho every psychologist and every psychiatrist that I know, they want to do this. They want to be able to facilitate psychedelic therapy because well, probably they've also been to ceremonies and they think, wow, I'm a psychiatrist. I can actually do something like this. But they go to like a weekend training and by law, you know, they're going to receive the opportunity to participate in one session as a patient because these are very controlled substances still. So if you imagine a psychiatrist goes to a weekend training, has one session with the medicine, and then is certified and qualified to guide people through these processes. And I start to think that's ridiculous. That, that is probably more dangerous than just giving people the medicine themselves because these people have no experience. And the thing I really respect about the shamanic traditions is that the curanderos, the ayahuasqueros, the shaman, whatever you want to call them, they'll spend years working with one plant and they'll take it themselves many times. I mean, until they fully understand how it works within their own body, their own consciousness, and only then will they share it with someone else. And then we're in a situation where you're going to go get a prescription psychedelic from a doctor who's taken it once in a weekend training. I think that's a little bit scary for me just go on about your day as if it's normal yeah and and bringing into the cannabis conversation and we don't have to go down like the rabbit hole I'd love to go on another topic but cannabis how it's legalized but now but there's thousands of mainly black people in jail for it and it's like how do we it's interesting when you just kind of look at the, how we end up changing everything. Um, and yeah, the weekend training and then just facilitating that Monday. It's like, okay, what do you really yeah. know about this? Even though the intentions are beautiful and the intentions are there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw a lot when I was an attorney, I actually worked in the federal courts for a year as a law clerk and We've had so many drug cases in Arizona because we're by the border. It's one of the big drug smuggling states and just this social impact of that whole world is, is really hard for people to understand how detrimental a lot of this has been. So on one hand, I'm, I'm a little encouraged that there's a move towards decriminalizing the use of these substances because they've, they've hurt a lot of lives, just the laws surrounding them. 
Um, but again, you know, I, I don't like to make the comparison to other things, but I, I compare like what's going to happen in psilocybin is probably going to follow what happened with cannabis as far as legalization. That seems to be the strategy. And cannabis kind of came on the heels of legalization, re-legalization of alcohol. And alcohol is a mind-altering substance. And, you know, everybody would think it's fairly normal, but I don't think many people would look at alcohol as having contributed to the greater health of our nation or our, our world. It, it certainly offers social and um, emotional types type of benefits at times, but, but I don't think we're healthier for having, you know, liquor stores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to kind of switch gears here. You were speaking a lot about magnesium and you're right. I think everyone by now, if you're in this alternative health space, you know how important magnesium is. And maybe you don't know all the intricacies that um, you may learn inside of the, the root cause protocol, but we know that magnesium is a very, very important mineral. And it's something that I've personally myself been uh, super deficient in. Um, and I, I read on your Instagram, um, you were speaking about cacao and this is a plant medicine that I have yet to work with. Although Gabby and I will be in Mexico in just a couple of weeks and we will embark on our first cacao ceremony together. But I guess I didn't realize like it was a plant medicine. Cause it's like, are we speaking of like, is there a special cacao or is it like just any cacao? Because I do know like eating chocolate, like is a really good sign that you are, um, magnesium deficient. So I'm curious um, if we can talk a little bit more about cacao and magnesium deficiencies. Yeah, well, cacao has been an ancestral medicine for people of Latin America for a long time. Mm. I don't have a lot of experience with cacao in Mexico, but I did have a lot of experience with cacao in the Andes Mountains where the indigenous people of that part, of it's, you know, the part that I was in was in Peru. They work with cacao as a medicine um, it's a very interesting medicine because it's not necessarily psychoactive. It's mm. much more of a, a body type thing and a, an emotional type medicine. But one thing that I noticed in myself was that I went through this period of sickness when I was working with the plant medicines, primarily ayahuasca and wachuma. And I went from not really eating cacao to just craving dark chocolate and then I would make cacao drinks with pure cacao like every day and I became a chocoholic I mean I was absolutely addicted to cacao I couldn't live with it and I couldn't imagine not living with it and it correlated perfectly when the time when I was very minerally deficient when I started the RCP I didn't even think about it but I noticed after a month I just hadn't had any cacao and I was like you know what I don't mm. even crave it anymore I, I knew that it was high in magnesium. I think everybody has heard how high the, the content is of magnesium in like a chocolate bar. They say like a hundred gram bar of dark chocolate might have like a hundred milligrams of magnesium, maybe more. It's a lot of magnesium for a, a small amount. But then I found out that it's also high in copper. Mm. It depends on where it comes from, but a lot of them can be. And that to me made a lot more sense because there's a lot of foods that are high in magnesium, but we don't develop addictions and cravings for. Um, but I couldn't think of any other really high copper foods you know, in that, that similar vein. And then I started to notice how the people of the Andes where I was, these people are very small. They're kind of malnourished because they live at such a high elevation and there's not a lot of animal foods. You know, they, they actually eat guinea pigs, tiny little animals, and they sometimes will eat their alpaca or their llamas if they're no longer making a wool. But they're sort of malnourished. But if you look at them, they have perfect teeth. You know, they have really nice hair. And you're like, where are they getting all of their copper? Where are they getting all of their magnesium and their nutrients? And you realize they ate a lot of chocolate. Mm -hmm. And they eat a lot of potatoes. That's where all the potatoes in the world were first cultivated, was up high. And potatoes in that environment are probably full of copper. And then they get their retinol from dairy. And you think, you know, it's like, it's so brilliant the way that they've survived up there. But cacao to me became this 
not just a, it's not just a medicine, but I think it's a necessary element for them. And some of the people actually need it in their diet because of the magnesium, because of the copper, it's a superfood. And so it can really help certain cultures that don't have access to a lot of the animal foods, I think. And so there's an element to it that's really healthy. Wow, that's so interesting. And now that I'm reflecting back to like what you just said about not craving chocolate anymore, like I had a phase when I was just starting off the root cause protocol, where I was like, it was like a couple months in, I was like, wait, I don't even want dessert. Like I don't, and usually dessert was like something chocolatey. And I was like, "Mm, that's pretty cool. And I just thought I attributed to like blood sugar regulation, which I'm sure was a part of it too. And magnesium is a part of blood sugar regulation. So yeah, that's super interesting. Super interesting. Um, I want to ask you about purging. I know (laughs) in these plant medicine ceremonies, that's kind of like all I was told is like, oh, you're going to vomit and, you know, (laughs) just expect that. And I was like, I hate vomiting. (laughs) It's such a big turn off. Like I can't, I actually held back, which was probably not the best, but, um, and that showed me a lot about like how I just was not willing to go there and I wasn't ready for it, honestly. Um, and so does that have, I'm curious if you've looked at this, like, does that have anything to do with like mineral deficiencies? And like, also, I don't think we're receiving instruction on how to replenish afterwards either, but, or is that like spiritual, like, oh my God, you're, you're purging and releasing all that's no longer serving or whatever i think it's a it's not one or the other it's both but Mm -hmm. there's a there's a physical purge that often happens with a plant like ayahuasca for instance where it will cause your gallbladder to essentially open and release bile now it doesn't happen for everybody so it's not guaranteed but that can be depleting i mean you are there's there's studies about this with I don't like to go back to alcohol because it's not a good analogy but that's the only drug that we have good studies on but a lot of the problems come from the purging aspect of alcoholics constantly throwing up and measurable magnesium deficiencies arise when there's a lot of purging we don't have studies like that with ayahuasca so we'd have to draw an analogy that just the physical act of purging is depleting. We know that you're, you're gonna be losing lots of bile. And I think it's not just the depletion during the plant medicine ceremony itself that is an issue. A lot of it is what we touched on, which is the diet, because there's not a lot of replenishment happening. In short ceremonies, like a weekend, it's not a big deal, but a lot of people end up spending extended periods of time with a very, very, deficient diet and so if you're both purging but then not replenishing this is where you run into issues yeah and that just speaking of alcohol that's that makes more sense with my extremely high magnesium burn rate because in college that's what I did I drank until I couldn't drink anymore and then I would vomit and probably not (laughs) fuel myself well which is yeah so that's some Dunkin Donuts the next day and Dunkin Donuts the next day <laughs> pizza burgers and yeah oh, those days <laughs> wow wow I don't I don't miss those days but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't miss those days at all I would love to go back for a week but like not experience any side effects you know like just feel mm. the experience it. but yeah <laughs> so crazy <laughs> I just like have zero interest I don't know about you guys I don't like I'll enjoy a spirit like every now and again I feel like that can be really nice like with dinner but I just don't have any interest in like drinking an absurd amount um even sometimes I'm just like I don't know drinking sometimes just really turns me off so I'd much rather do like a psilocybin ceremony. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a time where I drank regularly because I was an attorney and this was the common thing was after work, we just go drink. And there was a point actually that I hit where drinking didn't feel good anymore. Mm-hmm. And I now know that that's because I reached a state of magnesium depletion that mm-hmm. I could no longer process the alcohol. And so this is also something that happens to 
<clears throat> to people sometimes they just can't they can't drink anymore and to me that's like an informational learning point where you can say okay well now i know why that is because the there's a you know the ethanol byproduct is i think acetaldehyde you need magnesium to to basically process that we have an enzyme that's like acetaldehyde hydrogenase i'm totally going to butcher that name but without that magnesium dependent enzyme you basically uh, you have the byproduct of ethanol which is a neurotoxin and you just feel awful mm. like one drink might make you feel awful and that happens to long-term alcoholics i've talked to some who you know that i know other attorneys who they just got to a point where they couldn't drink anymore and, but it's not taught that that what's happened is you've reached the state of magnesium deficiency because then I thought I'll never be able to drink anymore. But as an experiment, I did have a drink last year with my dad <laughs> and I felt fine. <laughs> so I was like, okay, it's not permanent. See, I, I rebuilt my magnesium and then it was okay. Well, that's awesome. Okay. I remember there was like a point where I reached, it was in 2020 where I was like, I can't, like I, I would drink and drink and then I just, I wouldn't get drunk. Mm. And yeah. it was, it was interesting. I was like, but I don't like this. Like, I don't, I think my goal and agenda was back then was to get drunk because I was dissociating from a lot of pain that I was feeling on the inside. And yeah, I just couldn't get drunk. So I was like, okay, then what's the point? So I think that's kind of what really forced me to stop. And then, yeah. So interesting. <laughs> I had that same experience. It would be like, I rarely drank anymore because I started so young that I stopped young as well. And I would drink and not have any side effects. And I was like, well, yeah, what's the point? This doesn't taste good. And I'm not even feeling it, but I used to work, um, as a bedside nurse. And, um, whenever we would have, uh, patients that were withdrawing, the main protocol was to replenish. One of the main protocols while they were actively withdrawing was um, replenish their vitamins and their minerals. But when I think about it now, we were using obviously totally synthetic versions and I wonder how effective it even was, but a big one was also vitamin B um, mm -hmm. and thiamine. That was like on every, it was an automatic protocol. And so yeah, it's so crazy to think that we reach this threshold and our body is super resilient until you no longer can handle it anymore. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And the relationship between B vitamins and, and magnesium too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'm curious if we can talk about healing trauma with, with minerals, because I think so I'm also studying to become a somatic experiencing practitioner right now and learning lots about the nervous system, learning a lot about spiritual bypass. And I think when you start to work with trauma or you know that there's some like emotional dysregulation going on, I think one of the first things that we all jump to is like, for me, it was like meditation. And then it was like breath work and then it was yoga. Um, and then I started to learn how these methods, if not um, supported correctly, they could be a form of spiritual bypass. And one of your posts talks about tetany. And I was, I was noticing some activation in my body because I was like, wait, I was taught that that was normal. And like, it's, it's a way of your body speaking to you, communicating with you, telling you that it's, it's stuff being released from your body. And I had no idea that that could have been a mineral deficiency. And maybe there is like a spiritual component as well. Like I'm, I'm trying to use the term like, yes, and there could be a, a mineral balance. So, um, yeah, like, what are your thoughts on like healing trauma with minerals and yeah, like is spiritual bypassing something that you often see? I think spiritual bypassing is the norm <laughs> in almost all of the, the practices, whether they will admit it or not. Yeah. But I think minerals play a huge role. That's one of the things that has been ignored is, I, I think about my time as a yoga teacher and my time working with the body, body work. And one of the things that I, I believe is happening when you do these things is that you're forcing 
the exchange of calcium. You're, you're working with calcium and iron in the tissues, but from a physical level, you're doing that. And it's just loosening a little bit of the, the armor that's protecting us from feeling the underlying emotions. And I think that's the doorway in. So what I start to think now is, is a little bit different, which is that you can address the traumas by working the mineral aspect first, because it will help open up the doorway into the underlying emotions. Whereas if people are really, we use the term calcified, you know, just like metaphorically, but I think there's also a physical thing that happens over time. If people are really calcified in their bodies, they may be kind of numb to the fact that there's an underlying emotion. You know, I've, I've seen so many people in the healing context and the people that are the sickest are the people that'll tell you they're the happiest sometimes or that they don't have any issues in life. And I find that very interesting sometimes because I'm like, wait, <laughs> that can't be true. But, but actually, we just are unaware sometimes that there's an underlying feeling. So I really respect the somatic experiencing modality. I mean, that's, a, that's an incredibly impactful way of working with people. But I think there, you know, it's both. It's not one or the other. I think if you work with people on getting rid of some of the calcifications and managing iron, you'll have a much easier time getting into the underlying emotions and doing so in a safe way so that they can experience that and, and not build more defenses against it as it comes up. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a beautiful combination of things you're doing there. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, if I was going to go to a somatic experiencing therapist or coach or however you want to call it I would want to go to somebody who also worked the mineral and health aspects of the body as well I thought it was so important and Gabby and I talk about this all the time because it's it's yeah. more one or the other that. that's yeah it's huge <laughs> it's, it's huge and um yeah I think a lot of like I mentioned earlier a lot of spiritual communities would preach like plant-based way of eating and maybe fasting and whatever else. And I just, I felt that that was a huge piece. I'm like, but I felt so much better when my blood sugar started regulating. I started to notice my anxiety dissipating, you know, it, it plays a huge role in mental health. So, but then I was like, okay, but a lot of women I work with are doing all the right things. And I know there's more underneath all these layers and so I felt like nervous system regulation and bringing that into practice was really, really important. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's all very important. It's a, it's a both. But I also, I'm not sure what causes what anymore. I, I, used to believe, I used to believe that the trauma was the cause of the, 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 the traumatic event was the cause of further dysregulation. But there's people... I think there's a study you can look at from the armed forces where they've just done surveys of people who are exposed to really traumatic events. And you would think that the majority of people would have PTSD type symptoms, but it's not true actually. Most, most of the people do okay. It's just certain people that end up with really, really problematic loops that form. And I start to wonder why did that happen for them? And maybe they were already on the verge of some kind of mineral imbalance, they were susceptible. And so the stress compounds, like you notice, like metabolically, and you get stuck. And so I don't know, I don't know what comes first anymore. Well, I'm also like getting more and more into like intergenerational stuff too. Like what was mom's health like? Like I look at so many HTMAs with my clients and they're like, whoa, like I, I, had, I don't, I don't know if I feel that bad or whatever, or I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I've been doing all the right things for a while, but there's also like, again, layers and mom's health plays a big role. And then mm -hmm. her mom's health. So grandma's health. Um, it's crazy how not only trauma is passed down, but your, your mineral pattern, your iron, your hormone, hormonal implantation, your, the, the status of your thyroid. There's so much that um, can be passed down to us. So having to really work through all these layers is, not an overnight process by any means no 
that's huge. I, I think most doctors would think you're insane, but I'm, I'm with you because I, I ask all my clients about whether they know about their, the pregnancy that their mother had with them and complications at birth and breastfeeding and, you know, mother's diet. And yeah. there's always patterns. I mean, you, you work with enough people, you start to see a very clear pattern emerge, which is that if, if they didn't have the ideal birth circumstance, then they have childhood illnesses. They take a lot of antibiotics and they end up with adult illnesses, <laughs> you know, throw in some Accutane when they're a teenager and you've got a recipe <laughs> for, for all kinds of chronic issues when they're older. And it all started because of just a mineral issue when they were born or before they were born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting to think about really quick. Like I, I personally was actually breastfed till I was three and my mom, yeah, my mom had to be like, okay, Um, which I think now, like, that's amazing. But growing up, I was like, wow, I was too old. Um, And now I'm like, thank God. Um, But my mom's stress level when I, when she was pregnant and after the pregnancy was so high that it's almost like, thank God I was breastfed because if I wasn't, then I, I, I wonder like how much worse off I would have been because who knows how mineral rich her breast milk was, but I'm so glad at least I got it. Um, and it's so interesting to compare to someone else whose mom, like I have a friend whose mom was pretty healthy, but she was formula fed, but because her, her baseline resiliency was so good she is like thriving in her health as an adult. And I find it, and not that I'm not thriving, but I had a long health journey before this. So anyway, yeah. just to add, it's so fascinating. It's interesting how everyone's system is so different. And that's yeah. why we really can't compare like healing journeys. We have entirely different thumbprints as Morley Robbins would say. Um, it's, it's, yeah, each system is so different. So and I think that's like also really beautiful to take note of like, wow, I, I am so unique. <laughs> so yep. that was awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Hamid. Um, I don't think we have any other questions, right, Gabby? Like, no, this awesome. was so, this so was good. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And where can everyone keep up with you? And do you have anything in the works that you'd like to share? Yeah, no, thank you. I, I'm on Instagram, Mineral Shaman or at Mineral Shaman. And my website is mineralshaman.com. This is all for my health stuff. I still do other things. I still work with sound. I teach people how to facilitate sound healing, sound meditation. And uh, I do trainings for that as well. So twice a year, I do a live training in Arizona. If people want to travel out and I also have an online training that people can do anywhere. All of that information about my sound work is at my other website, which is just my name, hamidjabbar.com, H-A-M-I-D-J-A-B-B-A-R. I couldn't come up with anything more clever. So. <laughs> I think that's it. You're, you're it. So I love that. Perfect. We'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes. And to everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed the show. Until next time. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If the episode resonated with you, feel free to share it with a friend and give the podcast a five-star review and rating as this allows us to grow and continue having incredible guests on the show. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time.